The Wicker Man, a unique film of ancient beliefs and pagan rituals. We believe the soul returns to trees, to air, to fire. The Wicker Man will lead you to a climax of mesmerizing power. Now, all of you, just wait. You are about to commit murder. Bang, what you're doing? Bang! Come, it is time to keep your appointment with the Wicker Man. Rated R. Welcome to Two Old Parts Talk Sci-Fi. I'm David Clink. And I am Troy Harkin. Troy Harkin, that is. Yeah. Yeah. This is our folk horror installment, part one, The Wicker Man from 1973. Uh-huh, because it's like springtime now, and uh, I thought it was appropriate that we do this, right? And this today, one day after... May the 4th be with you. One day after Star Wars Day. We are recording this on Thursday, May 5th, 2022. And we're recording it in the Toronto and Southern Ontario regions where it was amazingly warm and amazing weather out there. And it just felt like, almost felt like summer, to be honest. And that's four days Um, after, four days after May Day. Yeah. Right. Somebody's coming in. Oh, who is that? I just heard a voice. Who who could that be? What is the voice in your head? We're going to reveal that in just a moment. So we're scheduling this one broadcast on Saturday, May 14th. We do have a special guest for this episode. Sandra Kasturi is joining (gasps) us. Yay! She was out. So I'm going to change out to our, O-U-R. That's one of those spell checkers that doesn't find it because out is a word. She was out out there. Uh, She was our... Special guest for our season one, episode 13, Look at Something Wicked This Way Comes, a novel by Ray Bradbury. That episode was published on Saturday, September 18, 2021. Before that, Troy will give us a spoiler alert. You know what, David? It's As this is a special show, would you like to push the button for the spoiler right, alert? I'm going to press it right now. Spoiler alert! Spoiler alert! Spoiler alert! How was that? Was that good for you? Oh, I love the spoiler alert. Thanks, Troy, for um, creating that. We are recording this session via Zoom. In the interest of transparency, Troy and I have known Sandra for many years. Let's introduce our special guest. Sandra Kasturi is an award-winning poet, writer, and editor with work appearing in many places, including on spec, several Tesseracts, anthologies, and 80 Memories and Reflections on Ursula K. Le Guin. Her two poetry collections are The Animal Bridegroom, with an introduction by Neil Gaiman, and Come Late to the Love of Birds, both from Tightrope Books. Sandra recently won second prize in the New Quarterly's Nick Blatchford Occasional Verse Contest. She is also the winner of the Sunburst Award for her story, The Beautiful Gears of Dying, and ARC Magazine's Poem of the Year Award for Old Men Smoking. Welcome, Sandra Kasturi. Thank you so much. It's so nice to be back. Sandra, we have many friends of the show, but 
I would like to say that you're far beyond simply one of our friends. You're a very special friend. You're like the patron saint of the, of the show. Um, well, and, as, to- as Tolkien says, the praise of the praiseworthy is above all rewards. There you go. Two Old Farts is a look back to when we fell in love with the speculative genre to recall these times with fondness and affection. I think an article by Shad D'Souza titled The Wicker Man, 1973, Folk Horror Endures to This Day as a Masterpiece of the Form, published in The Guardian on May 31st, 2021, may have said it best when he said, What transpires over the course of the film is unsettling and often bizarre, but also poses salient questions about tradition, judgment, and moral relativism. And it does it all in a breezy, evenly paced 88 minutes. Although sometimes arcane in its references, I cannot express how bracing, exciting, and downright funny a first watch of The Wicker Man is. I'm not sure if he saw the same film I did, but certainly he got a lot of laughs out of that film. Um, I I just don't know. Um, <laughs> if, would, you, would you two consider it a comedy? Because I, I wasn't really laughing in the aisles. Well, there's there's funny moments in it for sure. Yeah. Um, and it's it's actually interesting that he says that because I remember when, after I first saw Midsummer and I was speaking to our um, all of our dear friend Hallie Villegas, who unfortunately could not be here today. Uh, Hallie had said that she thought Midsummer was one of the funniest movies she'd ever seen, and I remember thinking, "What real good lord!" Um, and you know, maybe she's right. Maybe they're both comedies, comedies yeah. of errors. They they definitely both have their moments, and I find Christopher Lee is having a hoot. Like he is just having oh. such a good time. He's on so screen. gleefully thrilled by everything. You know, he's he's enjoying himself. Yeah, and uh, Midsummer, which we will do in our second part, not today on this show, but in our second part of the show. Um, yeah, I've become a convert to the whole comedy thing too. And there's a moment in that film, well, like at, at least one, but one specific one when I first saw it. Um, where people like laughed. And at first I thought it was just awkward laughter. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I've since been told that a lot of people do laugh at the scene. And I guess it is kind of funny. It's the one where uh, Christian is forced to copulate. Uh, well, that and, is a funny scene. Yeah. And that face that he makes is pretty funny. Yes. Um, uh, well, but- nobody wants to see anybody's O face, like not in real life. It's just- <laughs> So I yeah I Mm. to me I I just thought well this no this is like it's kind of like he's drugged and it's horrific and and I guess it's kind of funny too Mm. Um, yeah there's a number of those in both in in that film and in Wicker Man too you know before we go on I I wanted to have one other moment and Sandra I promise I will stop kissing your your Bubba Hotep after this (laughs) but but I thought it would be totally appropriate for our folk horror show. Um, if you read one of your poems from your spectacular collection, The Animal Bridegroom, uh, that is titled Spring Has Slipped Behind a Chair Forgotten, I think that would be fantastic to hear it. And again, totally appropriate for our topic. Would you mind uh, reading it for us? Uh, I'd be happy to. And, and thank you so much for asking. It's um, I, I do want to sort of preface this quickly by saying that uh, it's it's weird to read your own work if you haven't looked at it in a long time. Mm-hmm. And I really had not looked at this in a long time. And when you first said, oh, I think it's appropriate for the, our, the topics we're discussing over these two shows. And, and I thought, is it? And then I, and I started reading it and I went, oh, okay. Yeah. Now, now I kind of see that, but I had 
totally forgotten what half what I talk about in half of this, but but yeah, you'll you'll see in a second. Anyway, this is from the Animal Bridegroom, um, and there's a, a quotation at the start, uh, which is spring seems to have been omitted this year and will probably finally turn up in July where it will turn out to have been put under some newspapers or to have slipped behind a chair and been forgotten about. And that's something Neil Gaiman said in a blog um, some years ago, I think. Anyway, and I wrote this poem. Spring has slipped behind a chair forgotten. Spring has slipped behind a chair forgotten as glass slippers years after the ball might be cracked and cobwebby and left in the corner, or the unused spinning wheel, the peekaboo coffin, the long decayed donkey skin. Spring lies rumpled beneath a newspaper or in an unused room, squeezed out as midwinter tales rush headlong into golden-haired summer, feverish with the business of living, of happy ever after and marriages to princes and huntsmen and transformed beasts. How easy to slip off spring, that unfashionable frock, draped and left to fall behind a chair. How simple to overlook that gustery wind with its kites and kestrels, the shy peeping of tulips and the newfound promise of open windows, being taken to mad tea parties, flung into the sky at the end of a kite tail, gone up fairy hills and maypoles, down bursting spell-breaking rivers, onto the backs of butterflies and constellations, to the underworld and out again, dragging Hades' astonished girlfriend into the open air amid a gust of hawthorn boss blossoms, shattering lilies and Easter hats sprung fresh from the ground. Let fall the fervid heavy robes of summer, those days fat with ever afters and oversweet honeysuckle, they come too soon. Turn back the sundial, rebud the branches and let us dust off spring, pick it up from behind the chair and shake it out, linger in its cool folds, its clean embrace and let all other seasons await their blessed turn. Thank you. That was wonderful. And uh, you mentioned uh, how the little uh, intro there was by Neil Gaiman. Mm -hmm. And yes, Neil motherfucking Gaiman wrote the blurb to uh, The Animal Bridegroom, which is just amazing and fitting. Thank you, Sandra Kasturi. And now, David. Thanks a lot, Sandra. That was excellent. Should we push on with the. uh, Yeah, on to the Wicker Man. Let us Um, push on, dear friend. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Once more into the breach. (laughs) Yes. Uh, uh, Troy will give us some background, set it in context before we get into a full discussion on The Wicker Man. Take it away, Troy. Man loves order. Moreover, man loves the order that he cultivates. As much as we claim to love the great outdoors, we love a garden even more because we are the ones who dictate the order. We fear the wilderness. We fear the threat of the untamed. Because we want to see ourselves as enlightened and civilized. We fear our pagan roots. Folk horror explores these fears. Often, it examines a return to ancient rites and rituals that, for the most part, have been forgotten. But folk horror reminds us we can never truly leave our past behind. Folk horror has some definite trademark elements. We can see the juxtaposition of the prosaic and the uncanny, as well as the power of ritual. Pagan conspiracies, rural locations, often the stories are set outside of modernity. In his series, The History of Horror, Mark Gaddis refers to the unholy trilogy of British horror. These three films include Witchfinder General from 1968, The Blood on Satan's Claw from 1970, and 1973's The Wicker Man. 
Inspired by David Pinner's 1967 novel, Ritual, The Wicker Man is ostensibly a detective story about a devout Christian police officer who is searching for a missing girl on Summer Isle, an island off the west coast of Scotland, a community that is sustained by its production of apples. The island is ruled by Lord Summer Isle, played by Christopher Lee. Police Sergeant Howie is played by Edward Woodward. The film features supporting actors Ingrid Pitt, Britt Eklund, as well as actual Scottish locals as the inhabitants of Summer Isle. In the book 1001 Movies You Must See Before You Die, The Wicker Man is described as a highly original combination of horror movie, murder mystery, pagan ethnography, and folk musical. Cinefantastique once described it as the Citizen Kane of horror movies. Total Film Magazine named The Wicker Man the sixth greatest British film of all time, while Christopher Lee considered The Wicker Man the best film he ever appeared in. Like many of the films covered on our podcast, The Wicker Man experienced many challenges before finding its audience and being fully appreciated. Due to its convoluted history that involves the studio that produced the film being sold and its new owners wanting little to do with it, The Wicker Man exists today in at least three different cuts. And at one point, so the story goes, the original negatives of the film were simply thrown away on the side of the road in Britain. Fortunately, film legend Roger Corman had been sent an original print for distribution consideration in America. Although his company, American International, had decided to pass on The Wicker Man, Corman retained his copy of the film. Today's existing prints of the film have been made from Corman's salvaged copy. Originally, the film barnstormed across America, playing at universities and having midnight screenings in specialty cinemas. Word of mouth spread, and the cult of The Wicker Man grew. In the early 1980s, it found its way to cable viewers and the home VHS market. In 2006, an atrocious Hollywood remake starring Nicolas Cage was released. Please avoid it. I've seen it. It's rubbish. Also, in 2011, Robin Hardy directed The Wicker Tree. This film is also to be avoided. For those wishing to look deeper into the roots of folk horror, I recommend the Shudder documentary, Woodlands Dark and Days Bewitched, directed by Kirla Janice. It's an incredible three-hour-plus international overview of the subgenre. Also, you want to look at J.G. Frazier's The Golden Bough. The book was first published in 1890 by anthropologist Frazier. In it, you'll find the commonality of human rituals throughout time and varied locations. The book was a huge influence on William Butler Yeats, T.S. Eliot, James Joyce, Sigmund Freud, Carl Jung, and Joseph Campbell. The book contains descriptions of many of the elements depicted in The Wicker Man, including the Hand of Glory, the Maypole, and the titular Wicker Man. And that is it, David. Let's dig in. Thanks a lot, Troy. Um, Sometimes we ask this of our guests when we have a topic is... the first experience of the Wicker Man. So, Sandrick, was there any story behind how you were first introduced to that movie? I really, really wish I had a great story for you on this one. Unfortunately, I don't. Um, in fact, I was racking my brains trying to think when I first saw it, because I've, I've seen it multiple times now, um, but I, I really don't remember. 
it's gotta be at least 30 years ago or more. But yeah, sorry, this is a, not a good guest for that one question. I don't remember at all. What was your first time seeing it, Dave? It was only just in prep for this uh, podcast. I wasn't even aware of the film. Like it somehow had it never appeared on my radar or uh, LIDAR or, or sonar or anything. Like it just wasn't <laughs> any, any R out there. Yeah, well, how did your um, spidey sense? Was it on your spidey sense? No, not even the spidey sense. But okay. when you said, hey, let's do an episode on, uh, you know, the, the, um, on Wicker Man and, and, um, uh, folk horror in general? The other, yeah, yeah, folk horror, which I didn't even know was an actual thing. It turns out folk horror is an actual genre. So I guess this is, this, uh, is on me basically then. The whole let's let's do a show. Um, well, 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 I mean, it's neat to see the experience and how you feel after watching The Wicker Man because we went to see it in one of those old style theaters. Um, like I had already seen it in prep for the, the 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 podcast, and then Troy said, "Hey, guess what? The Wicker Man is actually playing on a large screen in an old style theater out like." Basically, it's a seven-minute drive from where Alex and I live. So, so Troy and Alex and I went to see it just last. What was it? Saturday night. Yeah, on the eve of May Day. Yeah, it was on April thirtieth. Um, and I can't remember exactly what what Alexis said at the end after having seen it. Oh, something like uh, that was twisted. I think. Yeah, yeah, that was a that was messed up or whatever. Yeah. It was just like really an unusual and strange. Uh, it's certainly not a first date film, I don't think. Oh, maybe not. Maybe not. We have a, a wonderful edition of it uh, on DVD. Remember DVDs? Um, yeah. And it's it came in its special wooden box, and <gasps> it's got uh, the Wicker Man himself etched onto the top of it, and it's got these two gold clasps. It's really lovely. Oh my God, Sandra, is that the? Does that have multiple uh, versions of the film in yeah, it? I, yeah. Oh that shit! Has, okay, I'm, how, I'm coming over. Okay, uh, I'll 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 be here. Because <laughs> my my first viewing of it would have been on, you know, back. I don't know if you guys remember this, but back in the days when um, movie channels first came to Canada. Oh, there was first which, choice and, and Super, Super Channel. Channel, yeah, right. So this would have been, this was like around 80, 81, 82 ish. Yeah. And that, which is also, well, (laughs) okay. I don't want anybody retroactively coming from Interpol to get me, but (laughs) this was also around the same time of, uh, you know, the introduction of home VCRs, like in a, in a big way. Right. I think the statute of limitations has run out. Well, I I don't know. Yeah. (laughs) Anyway. um, Yeah. But the statute statute. about everything I've ever done. (laughs) So the, the, the actual no. statue of limitations, though the statue, <laughs> oh, yeah, it's that's right. Died. That's right. Um, and anyway, so uh, the Wicker Man was on one of those channels, and I taped it. So I had it for a long time. Now I, I might still actually have a taped version of it, but the version they showed is the one that is now the hardest to find, and it actually has a prologue 
that is much longer than like the one that David and I saw in the theater recently or the, the or the DVD copy that I have, Sandra. Um, oh, but that's so, when they're it, with, with his buddies at the police station? Yes! Yeah, yes, I, that's, I, that's I on that don't one? know if, like I have a, if mine is the longer version of that or not, I'll have to check. Because, because when I watched it again, I, I, just, I actually just watched the theatrical release. Like I didn't watch the... Uh, uh, the extended mix. Right. So the version David and I saw was called the final cut. Uh, the version I have on DVD from studio canal is not, I don't think titled that. Um, and so it does have a prologue, but the prologue that you see in that one is basically just Howie at church with his fiance. Um, and that's about it. Like there's the church service, there's different elements of the scene, like the Eucharist and whatnot, which I suppose is important. Like it, it is because it's showing his ritual and what he believes and the eating of a body, you know, a sacrifice basically um uh, but but it does have that important scene with uh at the police station a where he gets the letter that basically says that there's a girl missing um Mm. and we need your help but also these two kind of uh, pals who you who like you figure he's their whipping boy like he, they I forget what happens because it's been so long they they sort of mock him or you know like are snickering behind his back and whatnot and in fact I almost thought like it's one of these guys from Summer Island they're setting him up because <laughs> we we never get that we just have the in the other cuts we just have uh, it opens with the plane landing mm-hmm. um, yeah. Yeah, anyway yeah. I'm, I'll have to go check my copy now. I'm, I'm quite curious now to see what I have uh, because I think, again, this is one of those special editions released on an anniversary kind of thing. And also it came in a wooden box. How could you not want it? Exactly. Um, you could so. burn it if you wanted to. Um, I know. I know. Yeah. So some of the notes that I made on, on, on um, the film was I said, you know, isn't Howie afraid? that these cops are pranking him as well. Like when he just gets this letter, because I get the impression they sort of say like, Oh, Hey, look, Hey, Howie, uh, there's a cat up the tree on uh, Mulligan street. You should uh, go check that out. <laughs> well, well, I you think the, this is the, this is the character of Howie though. I mean, this is who he's yes. been from a small boy. You know, he is always the the boy who will perpetually be pranked because he will never be able to tell when people are joking because he takes everything so seriously. Um, and he is devoted in his duty and his religion and everything. Um, right. You know, it's like, I, I find, I don't, you know, I don't know that he's smug, but he is certain. Uh, what's the Robert B. Parker had a great expression um, often wrong, but never uncertain. Right. Right. And, and I think that that describes him quite well. well. My- my question when I was wondering, you know, is like, how smug is Sergeant Howie was like, I can you imagine today making a film about a cop who goes to investigate something and it's just in some sort of like different culture and, and he's the whole time like talking down to them <laughs> and, and like, uh, you know, reprimanding them because they don't believe what he believes like that shit would not fly today. <laughs> you no, know? it wouldn't. I mean, you would have to, um, I mean, then it would be a, a, a treatise on on othering and uh, you, you know the, the cultural appropriation and colonization and that sort of thing. Um, but it's interesting because he is the one. He's the the he's coming from England. He's the 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 British 
authority coming right. to the Summer Isle. He's the colonizer, but in yeah. fact, he he does not end well. You know, no. this is this is where the the indigenous people of that land uh, kick the snot out of them. <laughs> What's well, interesting too, by the way, because that's one of the earliest important parts of this whole mystery is that he has received a note, some kind of note from someone who lives on Summer Isle addressed to him. So I don't know how they got his name or how they were able to get this message out to him specifically. He has been targeted That's and he should already think, Oh, yes. I mean, yes. Perhaps there is. I mean, because it leaves it up to you as to whether you're going to buy into whether or not it's supernatural or whether they're just a crazy cult. Um, but I mean, I always... Well, you know, that's my personality. I, I always want the supernatural to be real in these kinds of films. I always feel it's a cop-out when uh, they say, oh, and it was only a dream. You know, I, I, I've been enraged by that sort of thing from the time <laughs> I saw The Wizard of Oz when I was, you know, eight years old and Dorothy wakes up at the end and I was so angry because, of course, that doesn't happen in the book. In the book, Oz is real. Um, and, of course, eventually they moved to Oz because, you know, Kansas and the Depression really sucks. Yeah. Um, so it yeah. never actually occurred to me that, yeah, that uh, her relatives and the farmhands uh, back in Kansas are kind of gaslighting Dorothy. Yeah. Yeah. A little bit. Yeah. <laughs> so my other question too was, well, what I wondered was how did he get this plane? Now I, well, I have a licensed pilot. Like what? Yeah. I now, guess that's, that's the thing. Here's yeah. the, here's the thing. Now, if you're going with a cut, which we are actually, like the one that Dave and I saw, we just see him uh, go from church to being in flight. Mm -hmm. uh, maybe his his precinct is a one man job, right? Maybe he does have access to a to a seaplane. Maybe that's just what they do. It's and you know, I'm, I'm probably overthinking this, right? Because he's from the mainland of Scotland, mm -hmm. but he's. Um, you know, he's flying off to the silence. So maybe it's oh, just right. a, a tiny oh, town. Oh, he's, he's Scottish too. Sorry, I, I was thinking that he was like, you know, British, but no, he's Scottish as well, isn't he? But just not from that island. That's right, yeah. I had never questioned this before, but I heard uh, some analysis of the film where they suggested that Lord Summerisle is basically not a true believer, that he is sort of uh, stringing along the locals, uh, basically just to do his bidding. Um, and mm. it's funny when you think of it that way because there is that moment on the cliff when Howie realizes yeah. what's going on, and he's yeah. saying, "Well, okay, well, next year, yeah, it'll it'll be you. Yeah, only and, only the and, Lord and of Summer Isle will do." And, and, yeah, and there's this quick expression that passes from yes. Christopher Lee's face. You're like, "Oh, holy fuck!" Yeah, there's that moment of what? No, 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 no. no. That's not gonna happen. Yeah. So yeah, but he does this, quickly this, say that no, that, that this will like this will. He work. doesn't deny that, but he yeah. says that we our crops will be fine next year because of yeah. the sacrifice. But or that's the, the sequel. Thing, oh, sorry. Go ahead. Oh, the sequel. Yes. Well, just say quickly in the sequel. What happens is it is like, next year, and the crops have failed, and they're all like you know, like the Frankenstein uh, local mob with mm -hmm. their torches, and they're like, "Summer Isle, we're coming for you!" And just in the background, you see the seaplane go off. You know, yeah. it's like. <laughs> Sorry, what yeah, you or well, well, or or Summer Isle. The way I would figure it is, he would just 
find some other willing. Now, that was the thing that I found. I'd have to watch the film again and note all the times where they're doing all the research about the sacrifice because even though he was led there and he actually was of his own free will, he ended up where he was in the film. Mm-hmm. There is parts of it where they're saying, well, it has to be a willing sacrifice. Now, just because you actually went there on your own <laughs> yeah. is you different. Like why, why didn't exactly. he not say, Oh, by the way, I'm not a willing sacrifice people. <laughs> and you have to have a willing sacrifice. I am not wanting to do this. Yeah. Yeah, it's 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 interesting because I mean, as I was watching it again, I was um and uh, was really paying attention to how much how they bait him uh, and how they tempt him and what what it made me kind of feel like it's like they're it's like they're tenderizing meat, ah. you know, um, mm. and like like he is he is their 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 plump little bunny that they are you know just uh, ma- they're making they're making the rabbit run so. The right. meat is tender. Although I think adrenaline in meat makes it worse. I can't remember if that literally whether that's literally true. <laughs> oh, but that might be did, right. Yeah, it did feel to me like um, you know they're playing with their food. That's right. Mm. I have to tell you, um, mm. there's a there's a, a character, the old the gardener, the grave digger guy. Mm-hmm. Um, his the actor's name is Aubrey Morris. He was in Clockwork Orange and Life Force, among other genre films. But oh, I, Life I, Force. I, I love him in this film. Like just you, and he's got that look in his eye all the time. Like he is playing him like a fiddle. And, oh yeah, and, he's got that gleeful, crazy going on. Oh fuck yeah! Especially uh, you know at the end when he's put in the Wicker Man. Yeah, and he's doing this like kind of like uh, what's that called the lollipop guild oh yeah a jig you know? yeah. He, and he is fa- his face is just lit up like mm-hmm. yeah let's just fucking roast this bastard <laughs> uh, that's yeah. so good well Actually, the other the- yeah no oh, no ahead, no go ahead sandra no, i was just thinking about uh uh one of the other i i kept noticing parallels to other movies of course um, and one of the things was when he goes into the Green Man pub, I realized, oh, John Landis lifted this for American mm. Werewolf in London. And when they the two head into the slaughtered lamb and of course, there's that silence and then the noise starts. up. And, you know, this is a trope that's been used over and over and over again, <laughs> but it particularly struck me in there. And of course, when he sees the pictures of the 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 virgin sacrifices on the wall or the fake virgin sacrifices uh of course it's very much like in midsummer where again you see the picture of the may queens and whatnot and so right or even or guys. even the bear where they go by the bear the bear and they're like is anybody going to talk about the bear in the cage it's a bear you know yeah. it's a watermelon as would happen in uh buckaroo bonsai mm-hmm. yeah um i also well, the, wanted, the, yeah, yeah go ahead yeah. david go ahead well, david. The, the the in this film in wicker man They've set Howie up, but they also have Britt Eklund next door trying to seduce him. Mm-hmm. And to that, it made no sense to me because what if he somehow, you know, succumbed to turn. that? Then well, well, he's then he no longer a sacrifice. Right. But that's, and that's the thing, because if they had, had burned him and he wasn't a worthy sacrifice, the crops would fail. Yeah. So, so they, they, had, they to had to make sure, sure if you believe yeah. it. So 
So, well, yes. So, I mean, they, they think that they've got the right guy and those were the tests along the way to see if he was in fact the right guy to be sacrificed, the, the virgin sacrifice as it were. Right. If you believe it, if you're yeah. someone that doesn't believe it, then you're putting yourself at risk because it's already leading right up to Mayday. So are they going to suddenly find, or is that girl who was helping and, and being involved in that, if she wasn't able to successfully lure him there to the point where he becomes a sacrifice, then would she have then been, because I had to sacrifice someone that day and there wasn't time to lure some other detective from some other place to come in on a yeah, seaplane in time maybe maybe it would have been maybe it would have been um uh ingrid pitt the librarian because there's yeah. that moment when they're doing the swords and uh there's a look of relief on her face when she comes out from under and she hasn't had her head chopped off so that made me kind of wonder like maybe that has happened in the past and so they're not entirely sure uh that somebody isn't going to have their head cut off at that point Right. You know, or, you know, had it not been Howie, I suppose they could have uh, done the Amazon same day order uh, for human <laughs> sacrifice. Oh, no, this. Oh, no, no. Sorry. It was 1973. They couldn't have that's done right. that. No, no. That's, that's out of the magic. question. Well, maybe they would have sacrificed uh, Rowan then for real. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, actually, that's a good question. Who would it have been? Because it would have been like, a, uh, I bet it would have been Rowan's dad, probably. Because yeah. it's like he's already tied up, or at least he was at that point. You know, it's like, let's let's go with him. Um, so I'm, speaking of Rowan's dad, that's Alder McGregor is the character's name. Uh, he's played by uh, Lindsay Kemp. I also love him. He's got this really sort of elfish uh, look about him all through the film, especially whenever he's dealing with with Howie. You know, um, everybody in the film looks a little fey, you yeah. know? Yeah. Like they all looked like they all look like they've been touched by the other world very slightly. Yeah. yeah. And they definitely like when you watch it a second or third time, you definitely realize, oh, everybody knows that, you know, they know something he doesn't know. Yeah. Um, but but he should clue in too earlier. Like like he well, first goes to the the thing and there's a harbor mat, everyone and no one recognizes the girl. Then there's a missing painting on the wall. Right. Then he goes to the the thing and all the girl all the the people in the class don't know who it is and then he finds the ledger that shows yes. that she is one of the the things and obviously everyone at that point if he has a brain in his head he should recognize that not only all the people at the harbor and the school and everyone else is leading him out they're all in it together but well, this is, it's, that's you the know thing. What? it's it's the murder on the orient express paradigm yes. You know, yes. um, but of course, like you never really do think that surely not everyone is in on it. But in fact, everyone is. Yeah. And and we we mm. do find out it is spelled out that it's essential that he is a fool. And yeah. that is that is why He's the holy fool that yeah, again, on first viewing, I think that is a reaction. Like, come on. It's like but the audience is supposed to <laughs> clue in and he's not because he's supposed to be the fool. Um, I was going to mention about Lindsay Kemp, uh, the, the barkeep, Alder McGregor. Um, I looked in to see what, what else he had done and not a lot of other acting roles, but he, he was a choreographer. He was a dancer. Uh, he was both, a, he was a mentor to David Bowie and Kate Bush and a lover of David Bowie. Really? David Bowie's, I should say. It oh. <laughs> sounded like he was just a big fan when I say he was a lover of David Bowie. He was <laughs> David Bowie's lover for a while in the 70s, yes. Oh. Um, so, uh, yeah, it's too bad we didn't get a dance 
a little bit of a dance from him. Speaking of music, do we want to touch on the fact that this is as much a musical as it is these other genres, mystery film, uh, horror film? Um, any thoughts on that, guys? It's I, I'd forgotten how how much I like those songs, and I'd actually completely forgotten that that of course they have that swimmer is a coming in at the end because I I learned that as a song when I was uh, uh, we were doing. I don't know, one of the, was it the York nativity play that I was performing in something like that. Um, so hearing that again in this just made me go, Oh, that brought back all these memories. Um, and the great the songs are great. I wish they had uh, the, the John Barleycorn song. That would have been great too. Yeah. It's um, it's available. You can buy uh, physical copies of the album. And it's also, I don't really want to be pumping Spotify, but it's available to stream. Um, but yeah, there's some great songs in there. There's the, the Maypole song, uh, Gently Johnny, which is the song that is played on the first night when um, Howie is up in his room and Christopher Lee brings, Lord Summer Isle brings along a boy to take up to um, Willow. Um, that's that's just uh, gorgeous. I put my hand on her knee and she says, Do you want to see? I put my hand on her breast and she says, Do you want a kiss? song which is the song that um is sung when she's doing her naked dance willow's doing her naked dance and uh tempting howie remembered um i i forgot that there was quite so much uh, naked frolicking right yeah that's right because we have the the fire um 
um, oh Lord, what is the word? The fertility, the fertility ritual is yeah. going outside of Summer Isle's mansion. Um, so recently I was watching um, Abre Las Ojos, which is the film that inspired Vanilla Sky. And there's a scene in a club where uh, the main character is there. And in the background, all of a sudden I'm hearing Willow's song being played. And it's like, what the fuck is going on? Why am I hearing a Wicker Man song in Abre Las Ojos? And I've turn- seen that film and I, I don't remember that, but again, it's been a while. So yeah, it's, it's towards the end when he's oh. in the, in the club and it's the, the, so I looked it up and the cover is by the sneaker pimps. So if anybody is interested, there's a great version of Willow song by the sneaker pimps. Um, then well, there's that. Well, yeah. No, no, no. Yeah. Go ahead. Troy. I was going to say there's that uh, great and hilarious landlord's daughter song, which is played. Oh my the- God. Well, it's so rude and so yeah. funny. And I just wow. love the the lyric and the visual when they go like, you know, between her left toe and her right toe. And they show the, the feet, you know. Yeah. Um, and then, of course, Now, you know, nowadays, yeah. they'd, they'd be everybody would be uh, ha- working themselves into a snit saying that we were slut shaming the poor landlord's daughter. <laughs> so. <laughs> Which itself yes. could be a song. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what it should be called. Yeah. Slot shaming the the yes the landlord's daughter, but um yeah one of the things because definitely when you talk about the nudity in Britt Eklund and that whole scene where she's going around, I was thinking okay this has gone on long and not like remember I think it was over at, at Sandra at your place in Brett's one day when Melancholia happened to be on TV and there's that whole oh. scene with Kirsten Dunst oh, well, that and I was thinking and and then and then it just kept going on and she's there without without a top basically nude naked the entire time um, yeah. naked for such a long period I was, I, I was you know basically yelling at the seat we get it now you know we get it <laughs> I, now that's you another know, like film Kirsten. i kept falling asleep in um and and oh the other one speaking of like we get it now that uh uh um what was uh uh uh, uh tom cruise nicole kidman eyes wide shut um, which a movie I did not like uh, and which is too long. And also there's like what, two or three orgies and they're so boring. And I kept falling asleep during all the orgy scenes and I would sort of nod off and then wake up and go, is this orgy still going on for the love of God? Um, yeah. Wrap yeah. it up. Yeah. They should do a musical called orgy and best, but no. Sure I, oh, there must be. I'm sure that is the name of some porn film. That must be you know yeah we should make it if not no that's some saucy talk there sir <laughs> yeah but um the other thing about um i guess Bert eklund is in it but also of course uh ingrid pitt now i remember her of course from where eagles dare but she was also in a number of those hammer films which yeah. just also happened to christopher lee so i was thinking they've got these two hammer film Actors, people yeah. in this film Maybe there was just in between Hammer films and they said, oh, we've got a bit of time. Oh, why don't we just do this Wicker Man movie yeah, before we do Lee the was next? Like, Ingrid, are you busy? Come on, we're shooting a film. Yeah. Um, were you guys, the first time you saw it, um, did you feel the horror of the final scene, which involves a Wicker Man and a human sacrifice and some, some uh, kindling? For sure. I mean, I was, um, because I think I went into it not knowing what to expect. 
And I think I expected it, or I thought that it would follow a lot of horror movie tropes, which is in, in, that there is a return to order in some degree that the good guys would at least win in some way, even if some of them die or whatever. But in fact, um, there are no good guys at all, really. And uh, and then that that moment when he sees the look on Edward Woodward's face when he sees the wicker man and then the camera ends yeah. over and then you see it. And whatever else you may think of that film, that moment has power. Like it mm. has it has power in such a way that you all you feel like a spell has been cast, like an actual supernatural magical thing has happened in that moment. That's how powerful it is. And also sidebar, I realize this made me think of something. There's this wonderful series of books by Susan Cooper, uh, the Dark is Rising series, mm-hmm. um, which I love deeply based on Arthurian mythology. And the third one called Greenwich, um, one of the things they do in Cornwall, they do the Greenwich ritual. Now, I, I believe this is an actual thing where they build out of hawthorn branches um, of, of an effigy of a woman and fill it with stones and then they make wishes and cast it into the sea. Of course, yeah. in the bad old days, that would have been a real person in there. Right. Um, so like mm. that, I saw again, a thing that is human, but is supposed to look sort of human, but greater than human. There's, there's a lot of power in that. Yeah. I remember the first time I saw it. And again, I had no idea what was going to happen. Um, and I guess I sort of thought because it was framed as a as a mystery that you know this was the agent of order, the cop, and that he was going to solve the mystery. And and then you realize that moment you just described, you realized, oh, he's he's not getting out. No. <laughs> There's such a moment of dread. It's like, oh, he's fucking dead. <laughs> In a way, you could almost say that Lord Summerisle is the agent of order because he solves mm, the problem. Sure. Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. He's, he's made things right again. Whether or not that actually works, we won't know until next year. But Right. Yeah. Now, I heard from, uh, I don't know where I heard this from, because I've, I've done so much like checking out videos and whatnot relating to the film. I think it was a podcast. But supposedly, Christian groups love this film. Because they see him as this hero, mm. like he because yeah. he is oh, a, yeah, martyr, he's a martyr, and and yeah. he never once lets up on his strident belief. Faith right through to the end. Yeah, that's right. In fact, his whole speech, like that, that was some of the strongest parts of the the film for me. For for um, Edward Woodward was there. Like I was believing him. Like when he was giving his reasons and him telling talking to people it really reached to me, you know, it just, it was just brought all of his faith and everything about what's going on. And I, and I thought, you know, um, and they even had like that, that whole wicker man thing almost makes me think of burning man and and, and that whole culture, but they even had chickens and various, various animals in as part of the structure in the arms of that wicker man. Wasn't there like a goat or a cow even mm. up in there? Yeah, there was a calf. There was both. There was a yeah. there was a calf was and a, a goat. And, yeah. and that whole structure terrifies me. Like just looking at it, because oh. I was yeah. thinking, you know, of all the things that we know about film, like in that era, 
you know, I don't know how different it was in Britain. They, they might have had better union rules. I think they actually did compared to the States. But in the States, like things were so like fly by the seat of your pants and directors did whatever they wanted until, you know, there was deaths on the Twilight Zone set and John Landis was taken to court. Ah. Like that's when things changed. But um, anyway, just seeing that and going, fuck, he's going to have to go in there. Like, like and that, yeah. that, that in itself, like scared the hell they out of me. They actually burned that thing. They did. And supposedly at the end of the day, he was covered in animal piss because there were the animals above him were relieving oh. themselves because they were, you know, terrified. Oh, they're probably scared shitless too. Yeah. Yeah. Of course. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, of course, so to speak. Know, this is before this is before I guess PETA, and you know you couldn't uh, abuse animals on set, right? All of that before all of that before certainly before CGI, you know. Yes. Um, yeah, no like, animals were harmed during the making of this film. Yeah. Well, like, well, maybe not. Maybe that's that's right. That's and right. Maybe some, some no animals were harmed, but they were frightened uh, a great deal of the time. Yeah, oh. no. In fact, I know there's one making of where the director Robin Hardy says, "Oh no, no, the, no animals were harmed," and but people on set said, "No, no, no, that's they they were." Well, that's <laughs> a phrase: "No harm, no foul." No, but, honestly, um, David. But, but one thing I did want to jump in because we only got about like yeah, like, yeah. Our 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 timer went, and I added another yeah. ten minutes, and it's at halfway. But one thing that I wanted to address because, and this is also appears in uh, the um, second film in our in our set um, that we'll get to in the in the second part. But when and and he's definitely the fool because Sergeant Howie, like one of the key moments is when he realizes enough that he says, you know what, I'm going to go back and I'm going to get more people and we're going to get this all straightened up. So he, he goes out to his seaplane. Now I know at the moment he's getting rowed out to it, that it will not start. Mm-hmm. So it goes out there. It does not Classic start. Now trophy. at that point, yeah, exactly. How do you not know that your life is not in danger at that moment? I think, again, it's it's the thing that um, when you are in that situation, you are not see, seeing the whole picture, of course, because we as the audience have the benefit of knowing what's happening and, and seeing it happening around him. He's experiencing it in real time, as it were. Um, and so you, I don't know that you would assume that everybody is conspiring against you um i mean i i mean we have seen enough horror movies that if that happened like if we're going into the house and you hear a voice going get out we'll be like well see you later so long that's fine um yeah we uh, have that history of the last 40 or 50 like we know based on what we've seen that we know that but he did not because it's 1973 But he's also clinging to his own sense of order and rightness and his faith. And and he cannot let go of that because to let go of that would be to let go of who he is. That's Uh, right. As as a a Christian, as a man, um, and as, of course, the representative of authority. Like he cannot believe that these people will get the best of him. Mm. Yeah, he is the white hat, and he he mm. sees himself that way, and he sees himself as the righteous who yeah. will you know win over the heathens. You know? And there's a and there's a stubbornness there too, and I want and I think probably also um, uh, as almost every British film ever made uh, de- deals with uh, class, which mm. is you have someone who yep. is uh, ro- royalty. He's a lord, yes. 
and yes. you have Edward Woodward who is not. Yes. Um, and so you have that conflict yep. as well. And their interactions, which were brilliant, like, like it was just great stuff because there's Sergeant Howie who's still holding on to his thing and talk about what's going on here. This is not Christian and this is this and this and this. And Lord Summerisle is perfect in all of his, like he just, you know, the way yeah. he says things and the way he does and, and what he, you know, he basically comes out on top. Like he, when yeah. with their interactions, he's the one that wins every interaction. Oh yeah, yeah. He's just like your 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 faith is irrelevant. You are irrelevant. It doesn't. You don't matter. Dreamcasting. Yeah, dreamcasting, baby. So I have a Dreamcast and a Schrodinger's cast for so for Wickerman. That means we're talking about Lord Summerisle, uh, Sergeant Howie, and Willow. And uh, I think we've mentioned that Lord Summerisle was definitely played by Christopher Lee, or I know he was definitely played by him, but I definitely did say that already. So I could probably cut this out. Anyway, uh, Sergeant Howie was uh, Edward Woodward and Willow was Britt Eklund, who I guess was married to Peter Sellers at the time and would later be hanging out with Rod Stewart through the rest of the seventies. Um so who did you have? Who would you like to see in the, in, you know, the best of all possible worlds, Sandra, play Lord uh, Summerisle? I, I honestly, I don't know that you really need to recast it because I think it's just per, uh, pretty much perfect as it is. But it, just it, for the sake of fun, um, I think, uh, you know, maybe Christopher Plummer might be great as Lord Summerisle because he has that ramrod posture oh, yeah. and that plummy voice and, He'd be, and he's a Christopher, very important. Um, yeah. Or honestly, like I would do something funky and uh, ca- maybe cast David Bowie as long, Lord Summerisle. Oh I shit, think, that would be great. I think that would be in his in his Jared from Labyrinth uh, tight pants finest. Um, yes. And for uh, Willow, I might throw it like maybe I think Margot Robbie would be good because uh-huh. she's so uh, sexy. Uh, Brigitte Bardot, somebody like that. Um, and for Howie, I thought I, I had a little fun there. I thought um, I would cast a Sendil Ramamurthy. Uh, mm. Remember him from Heroes? Yes. Um, anyway, I love him. He's wonderful. And also he has that fine boned, beautiful face that I think would work so well. But he'd have to be able to do a really good British accent because this is very yes. much a British film. Yeah. Uh, I went with uh, Jonathan Price as Lord Summerisle. Yeah. Although I was thinking a little bit about Mackle, Mackle, Michael, (laughs) it's my Scottish accent. Mackle, Mackle, Mackle Fassbinder. Oh, the bus member. How did I not think of him? Oh, he's perfect. Oh, well, there you go. So you have your options, a Fassbinder or a Price. Uh, Sean Connery, I went with the Sergeant Howie. I thought he could do the uh, outrage and indignation really well. Daniel Craig. Yep. Yep. Kind of looks like Edward Woodward. Yeah. That's right. Uh, and although if he came to my island and was asking where Rowan McGregor was, I would be like, fuck, I'm telling him. I don't care what, <laughs> what Summer Isle does. I'm not, I'm not saying no to this dude. Um, and hold on, that sounded kind of wrong. Anyway, uh, and Willow, I went with uh, Karen Gillan. And, oh, okay. and she's Scottish. Yeah. Mm. As, yeah, for my yeah, Willow. Yeah, I can see that. And I think I just yeah. want to see her dance naked. Oh, good heavens. Yeah. Well, while you guys have been talking. Yeah. What have you been doing? Well, I came up with my list somehow. Just quickly. 
uh, out of this. So for Lord Summerisle, I thought Tim Curry. Ah. Um, yeah, um, actually, that would be great. In in fishnets or in a garter? Yes, or just, yes. Yeah, okay. Well, he's got to go. Well, full he does dress fishnet. up. Actually, he does dress up. Lord Summerisle for the little the parade the the little procession. Yeah. And he likes and his Tim kills. Curry would be fine dressed up though, yeah. Because I think I've seen him in in films where he is sort of perhaps you know like a, a dressed as a business type or yeah. whatever. Um, for the police, uh, for, for Sergeant Howie, I was thinking almost this is sort of an uh, unusual, but maybe Bruce Willis from his character in Die Hard would oh, almost be roughly the same make. <laughs> yes, except I don't know if McLean would like McLean would just start shooting people, I think. Um and um start commenting about German cigarettes or something. I'm not sure. The wicker man, the John McTiernan cut. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> well then Alan Rickman has to be Lord Summerisle, obviously. Good God. I've seen it. It's rubbish. Yeah. Yeah, if we recast it based on Die Hard, yeah. then um ah. we've got um the main actor, the, the the actress would be um after trying to remember Bonnie, yeah, yeah, as uh, Willow. But for me, I had Jenny Agutter. Oh as, yeah, she'd uh, be Willow. great. Yeah, 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 yeah. Now, did we? Do you have anything for Schrodinger's cast, uh, Sandra? What is? The, I don't know what the it is. The wackiest, is. weirdest sort of casting. Oh, the wackiest, like, weirdest. Like, you don't need yeah. to justify anything. It's a safe space. All right. Oh. So, for I example, see. I'll give you mine. Okay, and yeah, then you yeah. can maybe wing it. Yeah. Um, so this is my Schrodinger's cast. Sometimes David and I go with a little bit of a theme. Mm-hmm. And so my theme for my Schrodinger's cast was like a campy 70s version of the film. <laughs> and so I went with Charles Nelson Riley ah, as, as Lord Summerisle. Yeah. He's my Lord Summerisle. As Sergeant Howie, I went with Paul Lynn. Ah. And as Willow, I went with Phyllis Diller. <laughs> or <laughs> Phyllis Diller. <laughs> Or Charo, if you want to go with the sexy. Charo, amazing. Oh, Charo would be great. Yeah. If I was, okay, I would just do something completely wacky then. And I would uh, uh, put in the cast of Scooby Doo, the animated series. Oh, yes. Um, And I would have Fred as Lord Summer Isle. Oh, no, no, Shaggy as Lord Summer Isle. There we go. And Fred as Sergeant Howie. And of course, Daphne as Willow and Velma as the librarian. Oh my God! Oh my God! I'm gonna I'm gonna need a moment. (laughs) That's oh, and I also wanted. I think we mentioned maybe off mic before the show that in my version I would want the Wicker Man to have a song too. So oh yes, um, clearly the Wicker Man needs a song, and and maybe like it would be animated, so he'd have like a straw straw boater as well, and he could like you know it would yes it would be like. it would be like a uh, Frosty the Snowman, yeah. Earl Ives doing the Wicker Man song, perhaps. Yeah. Oh no! Yeah. I know it's just going to get worse from here on in. I did want to throw one last thing out there. Yeah. That I love the moment of realism at the very beginning of the movie, where the filmmakers thank the people of Summer Isle for their participation. Like that's, that's not. Really, yeah. That's because that's marvelous. Because that gives it a whole Blair Witch Project realism. But that's is. not in all the cuts because the version David and I just saw, it's not there. It just opens. Oh, really? It, it, op- it opens with a, oh. a, a credit or a card that yeah. is not in the that version. The version David and I saw, it says, "What would the date be? Two days before, I guess April thirtieth yeah. before May Day. It May. says April something like April thirtieth, uh, nineteen seventy three." Like it yeah. just that comes up, 
and oh, then okay. and then the movie rolls. Oh, so okay. I so yeah, today I was watching my DVD, which also has the the um the thanks card which was like oh cool like they're making it like it really happened yeah that which i thought was was so marvelous and and this is before anybody else was doing that kind of thing yeah well that's the thing i think that has been added like recently i don't oh, think really yeah i don't i don't oh. think that is part of the original cut i think that's hmm. part of the Let's like, investigate i think yeah uh-huh. Did you have anything for Schrodinger's cast, David? Or? Yeah, yeah. And that, that whole thing about them thanking them, I thought I saw something like that on the TV version of the, or whatever it was. Somewhere there was some note that the, I thought it was at the end of the film or something like that, but maybe it was at the beginning, but I remember seeing that. Um, so I picked the next generation. So I had Patrick Stewart as Lord <laughs> Summerisle. Nice. Data as... Uh, Sergeant Howie, even though that could have been number one, it could have been That's a Riker perfect. kind of. No, I like Data because he's rigid and sticks to the rules. Yep. Yeah. And then, and then, of course, uh, Marina Sirtis is Troy as Willow. Mm-hmm. Uh, but in which case, it would work better if it was actually uh, Riker, uh, if it was that combination. Otherwise, it could have been Denise Crosby, possibly with the. Uh, oh my God! I just had a moment what? where so when they're because I was thinking would would Data like burn or would he just melt but i thought in in his death scene rather than singing something from the bible he could sing like Hal. he could sing daisy goodbye no no daisy like daisy yes oh oh that would be extremely interesting yeah anyway and that'd be a tip of the hat to yeah Yeah. (laughs) hey who has more fun on their little cartoon show than us i hate you so well any final thoughts because we are out of time uh i think you must uh you know all of these folk horror stories are uh cautionary tales and i think you must choose your outings carefully uh i would avoid islands off of uh the west coast of scotland and uh, also uh sweden of course if the island was actually the um village from the prisoner, then that would be its own interesting casting. Because oh, number yeah. two could have been Lord Summerisle. Um, uh, uh, okay, maybe not. I've gone too oh, far. Oh, and also, if if you want to avoid being sacrificed, uh, you should not be a virgin. So yeah, yeah. you should succumb to temptation. In fact, yeah, you should drink a lot. Um, yeah. Be well learned. Don't be a fool. Yeah, fornicate. Like yeah, and actually say that I am not a willing sacrifice. So you could yeah. actually say that. You know, there's nothing stopping you <laughs> yeah. from saying that. Yeah, you already have a T-shirt that says that too. I am not a willing sacrifice. And if the, or, and if, and if the local bake shop is producing sweets shaped like human giant, like human beings, and cakes like human beings that they cut into and eat, yeah, beware. Yeah, and and yeah, don't live in a town where they sell foreskins in a jar at, no. the, at, at the pharmacy. No. Yeah. We get yeah five yeah yeah five foreskins for four fifty no no that I was trying <laughs> with something with that and it never worked but anyway that's Honestly. our full core part one the Wicker Man nineteen seventy three episode thanks to our special guest Andrew Kasturi thank, thank you for having you. me and Troy what do you got to say I'm just gonna say real quick um, that uh, you know you want to look for us on the socials. You do uh, something that they did not have uh, on Summer Isle. Um, check out our website uh, to numeric two 
OF.ca. Uh, you can try us on Twitter, you know, but, you know, the whole Elon Musk thing. So I don't know. Uh, Facebook, we are two old farts talk sci fi. And that's a really great place. Please chat us up, ask us questions, give us crap about uh, pronouncing Malkovic wrong. Um, and yeah, tell a friend, like and subscribe. Stop, drop, and roll. I am David Klink. And I'm Troy Harkin. See you all for the next episode of Two Old Farts. Talk sci-fi.